and welcome to the Nine Will Be Praised. I'm Jack. And I'm Joe. And we're here doing something a little bit different from usual. Well, actually, maybe not that different. We have done commentary tracks before, but a little different for a little while. Um, the commentary track we did before, oh, the brain of Morbius. Yeah, well, that was on that was on uh, Hamster with the Blunt Pen Knife. That was on a Nymon. Oh, you're talking about the Pirate Planet for... Yeah, well, well, there was the Pirate Planet commentary. Uh, there was the um, guest commentary we uh, Kayla Rohan and I did for the... Um, still, I still think, because I wasn't in that one, the best episode we put out, <laughs> Stolen Earth and Journey's End. Nonsense! What do you mean? I made sure you were there. You were in a little time bubble at the beginning. I was in, like, the Rani bubble, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, next time you'll be coming up on the monitor like William Hartnell and Three Doctors. I can't help but notice you, you uh, three were all watching the story, though, and as I was bouncing around the room, nobody was helping me out. No, well, you know, um, some, you know, sometimes you just got to fend for yourself. It's a, it's a big universe out there. You guys got hyper-emotional at the end of that. That's my bag, usually, man. You guys Yeah, I know. Bad. Yeah, you're just in that bubble going, somebody get me the fuck out of here. Stop crying, you lot, and help me out. <laughs> <laughs> I this is the ultimate commentary. Now I've done a hundred million commentaries on Hunter with Blunt Pen Knife. Mm-hmm. No commentary has got me more excited than this one. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and it's not even on hamster. My my. Well, I mean, to be fair, this particular commentary could not be on hamster, could it? Yeah. Oh, well, well. I mean, I mean, it could. Maybe somebody else will request to do horns of no- oh, cool. Can- oh! Yeah, no. <laughs> We're doing the horns of diamond. <laughs> Okay, so this is our inspiration. This is our life. Yeah. Can I just say, Jack dropped something the other day, right? Jack, can I mention about your auditions? Oh, if you must, go okay, on. So Jack is auditioning for drama school at the moment. And basically, on the back of a conversation after seeing his auditions, which were fabulous, um, he basically admitted that the only reason he's going into acting is because he wants to play Soldi one day, or a, or a version of Soldi. <laughs> And that this is everybody's, like, aspiration. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, you know, uh, the stakes are always high as Soul Deed. There's never a dull moment. Uh, uh, you're an evil genius. you got a beard. You get to um, corpse all the time or try and make the other actor call. <laughs> digging a black hole on my doorstep. <laughs> I mean, you know, Soul Deed has dreams of conquest, and if if that is not the most human of aspirations, I don't know what is. You're about the theatre, so mm. Graham Crowden, he didn't get this line in. Tom Baker always says he did, so um, it was obviously cut <laughs> when, they, when they put the footage together, where mm-hmm. apparently he looked at the, the, um, the camera at one point and went, I have caught an everlasting cold. Rob, is that from Shakespeare? I, 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 I don't know off the top of my head. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, if it's Shakespeare or something, or if it's like from The Winter's Tale, An Everlasting Cold. Um, it's a famous quote, and yeah, they were like, "No, that's going." <laughs> I, you know, somewhat shamefully, I am not quite across uh, my Shakespeare uh, as I should be. Um, guest of the podcast and my very good friend Kayla is a huge Shakespeare nerd. I have only ever looked at the Shakespeare's I've ever read uh, read in class or performed in. Can you ask um, me, please? And then for series five of the Nine on the Praise, we'll let people know where the quote was from. 
Yeah, this is this this is going to be our next long game. Where did Graham? Cra- Where did line. Graham? Cra- I have caught an everlasting cold. I- <laughs> yeah, that that will be a whole episode one day. Graham Crowden's uh, everlasting cold. Yes, we've hit the end of four seasons now. We've put out forty-four episodes of varying lengths, but all of them fairly. I thought you were about to say varying quality. No, no, no. <laughs> well, I go back and listen to some of our early ones. You know, no, no, I think they're they're pretty good as well. Um, but uh, well, it's quite a milestone, right? I mean, I think we've put out now of over a hundred hours easily. Probably about mm. 150 hours of this now. Like that's a mm. lot of content. Yeah, and you're the only one who's listened to all of it. <laughs> no, I know that's not true because people. Uh-huh. And I... excuse me, whoever that I can't remember his name now. Whoever wrote that comment on YouTube, all right, mm. saying I'm glad it's been acknowledged, but please let Jack talk some more. Rude. <laughs> I I I have no opinion on this matter, one way or another. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you but you are but you are right. It, 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 you know, I was thinking about the hordes of Naimon, as I frequently do in my spare time, me too, me too. Uh, because what else is there to think about? Um, and uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, what's that that quote? I I that um I don't know who it's attributed to, but it's like you know, uh, I think is it T. S. Eliot who once said that you know one day, uh, you shall return home and know it for the first time. I feel like that's what's happening with Naimon. We we sh- we are returning home and we shall know Naimon for the first time. I feel like the only way this this podcast can end in the year twenty fifty nine or whenever that is. Um, mm. is that we completely restaged the Horns of Naimon with costumes and everything. <laughs> Just the two of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I get to be K9 uh, and a Naimon. You you've, get got to be... Be, you've got to be Seth, because you're basically a twink. I've got to be <laughs> Soldier because I've got a beard. That's right. You you have reduced us to our core elements. That's right. Uh, I think, well, no, you could be Romana. Twink and beard. You could be Romana, who I think has the best role in this. Oh, I get to wear that fabulous coat of hers. Uh, oh, you, you should be Tom Baker as well because you do such a great Tom Baker impression. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I'm not. I, my voice isn't deep enough for Tom oh, Baker. No. I've, I, and you've got to be David Bruley's Caleb. You're all the regulars, I'm afraid. <laughs> Wait, who are you playing then? You're going to have playing... to do the TARDIS scenes and record them all at different times, and we'll just put it all together. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna play the guard who gets his trousers, who rips his own trousers. Oh my God, mercy, Lord Diamond! <laughs> no, not Diamond. <laughs> I have brought you the Hymetus. No, what's he call it? Hymetusite. Hymetusite, you weakling scum. Oh yeah, I I was gonna say I was gonna I was gonna prompt you to say weakling scum. Oh my god, amazing. Okay, look, I I am I am utterly salivated to get into this. But what I would like mm. to ask you is, yes, a little self congratulatory. We have done this at the end of every year. Yeah. Um, no, be self-congratulatory, not not what I'm about to ask you. Uh, and that is, do you have a highlight, like a highlight of the four seasons to date? I have a couple. Oh, oh goodness. Um, highlights. Uh, I think the epi- I think the Dominators was a real. Oh, uh, that was some of the most infectious fun I've had on a podcast. Yeah, I, th- I still think, oh, the chase from series one where you started doing uh, the Scar, the Daleks' greatest pop hits 
was hilarious. <laughs> I love that. And I really, really, really liked our uh, Daleks in Manhattan one this year. Uh, that was so much fun to record. Yeah, yeah. I say I, to you that I've had five penises, wet penises come at me, and you literally are going like, <laughs> you literally can't answer. Ooh, uh, <laughs> I, other highlights for me are obvious, oh, obviously Dimensions in Time. That's mm. still, that's mm. still right up there for me. That's the most I've ever laughed, I think, maybe. <laughs> I, I think it's the, I think it's the most I've laughed too. Uh, I, I I you know as soon as we start you know as soon as you you were like oh you're playing the Rani and you're like pickled in time like gherkins in a jar. I actually think that was you. I'm afraid. So you're complimenting yourself there. <laughs> I am. No. 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 Oh. No. That's what I meant. I was like uh, when you gave me the opportunity to say that line. I was like oh this you know what this podcast is a force for good. <laughs> But I, I remember when when um, Mark put that together with post-production for us and he was listening to your Sylvester McCoy, he went, why does Jack Sylvester McCoy sound like a dirty old man? Because you're like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, But of course as well, I'd say um, every, every time there's a guest on is an absolute highlight. Nathan, Rohan, Kayla... Uh, Jason, Fraser, Mark, and Sarah. Like we've had some fabulous people on here as well. Like from Absolutely. other podcasts and people that just just have a love for what they're talking about. You know, mm. we've been very lucky. Uh, we have, we have, and we have. You know, going into the next season, which is our series five, our first Moffat year, technically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. It's going to be our best one of that that period, isn't it? Yeah, um, but um, yeah, I think we're tremendously lucky in the guests that we have had, and also tremendously lucky that we have some really exciting people potentially oh, wow. who will be coming on. Uh, some for the first time, some again, um, and that is you know it's 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 great fun um, uh, that people have a good time um, and have have a good time listening as well. Yeah, I I I'll have to think. Oh, you know, there are so many things that I could also count as highlights. Um, but yeah, yeah. Oh, it's all it's all a highlight. Everything is. So you're the highlight. You're my highlight. Uh, well, I mean, the time with you is absolutely is absolutely like that's the peak of this. That's the point of this. To spend time mm-hmm. with that doctor with you. Um, yeah. I yeah. Will... The whole point of this is to make everybody else feel like a third wheel in a friendship. Yeah, exactly. And we've done that ex- adeptly, I would say. <laughs> Yeah. Before we jump into the Horns Norman, there is just one more thing I need to talk to you about. Isn't there always one last thing? Oh, there always is. Uh-huh. Um, I can't help but notice that Stephen Moffat has not been asked back to salvage Doctor Who. <laughs> Where are you going <laughs> with this one? But Rusty Davis has! Woo! Uh, oh yes, we're are we talking about that new? Oh yes, of course, that got announced between the last time. It was the next. It was the very the, the day after we did our episode with Paddy. I sent Jack a link, and you thought it was a lie, didn't you? You were like, no. <laughs> I, I I I remember you sent that to me. It was like it was about midnight, and I was literally just about to go to bed. I was packing up. Uh, I was in the living room and then uh, you sent me that message. I was like, what? What? I was literally like David Tennant at the end of a, at the end of a Davies series. What? But then you were up for hours because you were messaging me for ages after that going, what? Yeah. What about? What? 
oh, and who's gonna? And uh, oh my god, it was it was the most furious exchange of messages we've ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think I got to bed at like two in the morning or something. It was ridiculous. Uh, no, hugely oh, exciting. I oh, still can't believe it. I mean, it's, it's astonishing. It's astonishing that somebody whose career has gone to like meteoric heights since leaving Doctor Who would choose mm. to come back and. I'm not, I don't want to say salvage because that doesn't seem fair, but it has declined in popularity. And I think we all have to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not getting the numbers it used to. <clears throat> it's certainly not being marketed as well as it used to be. Now, you know me. I love Chibnall. I love his era. I love Jodie Whittaker. I think there's some crazy good stuff in there. I don't think he's been the best showrunner in terms of the health of the show, though. Mm-hmm. I would also agree. And I, I think one of the particularly startling things about the, the Russell T. Davis news is that we, we, we have a series of Doctor Who coming out sometime this year. No, it's supposed to be coming out imminently. We still don't fucking know. This is how bad he is at marketing the show. It's coming out yeah. in the next four weeks. Is, is that even confirmed? It, no, they've literally said it, it is imminent. Well, why don't we know when it's going? No fucker's going to watch it if we don't know when it's on. Yeah, it's we don't know when it's on. We don't know who the writers are. We don't know who the directors are. Something in too much secrecy, don't you think? Like, yeah, yeah. It's been it's literally been locked in an iron box at this rate. I complained uh, with, with Moffat that he he overmarketed it and he he spoiled too much. But this is the extreme to the other end of like mm-hmm. you know, Jesus. Yeah. But anyway, I, Rusty Davis is coming back, and I think you and I can both be very, very excited about this. That's right. I, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Russell T. Davis. Uh, he's been on a, quite a lot of podcasts, and you know, professional podcasts <laughs> with real um, critics and respected people, and all those kinds of things. That's those times when he comes over your house over a cup of tea, you know. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, no, it's and there was something uh, he said on one of those. He's talking. He was talking about his output for the last few years, yeah. and he said, um, uh, "You know, I I'm, I think I'm still tired from Doctor Who." Um, and th- this was on uh, I think Desert Island Discs, which um, was recorded in 2019, and it was really funny in hindsight here and go god i'm still tired from doctor who i don't think i'll ever just not be tired from those those four four or five years that i was working on the show and just and now here he is back again i've got a feeling though because the rumor is he's he's back for the special in three seasons i've got a feeling he'll be way more demanding this time i this is what i want give me this i need rest time i need time to get this done i want it marketed to hell i want it to be a franchise with those of other series like i think he's coming in saying this is what i want otherwise i won't do this because he hasn't got to do this he literally no. doesn't have to make doctor who and that's a good position to be in mm-hmm. and i also think you know he's probably coming on and the expectation is is that he's not gonna you know he's i don't think he's gonna spend seven years of his life now doing this show no. i think he's back for not 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 a little while but not too long either and i can only imagine that they have offered him a lot of money to do this that's got yeah. an incentive um <laughs> you know the, 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 no this but this could be like you know what he what he retires on you know he's not a young man anymore with rusty davis 
Um, mm. As much as he likes writing shows about young people having lots of sex, he is not a young man himself. Sorry, Russell. Um, <laughs> and and you and I talked the other day, and I promise we'll go into the Hollands Nine one in a second. Um, well, you and I. Don't talked- worry, I've got a segue for that. And there's there was you know lots of people criticizing saying he's going to do the same thing again. No, he won't. He absolutely mm-hmm. will not remake series one to four. He may bring some elements back, but this is a guy that reinvents himself every time he does something new. And this is coming back to Doctor Who and new. So I think he's going to do something extraordinary, something imaginative, something creative, something that will blow our minds. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, Chris Chibnall and Stephen Moffat will probably be the writers in that first series. That would be hilarious. Wouldn't it? What yeah. if they collaborated, all three of them? Oh, on the 60th. <laughs> what that even look like? Oh, wait, can I just say one thing before you go into your segue? Fraser Gregory, who we just talked about in the Dominators thing, sent me a link, right, that looked just like the BBC website. Okay, accurate to a T, saying... Stephen Moffat and Rusty Davis right in the 60th anniversary together. I fell for this hook, line and sinker. Okay? <laughs> and I, I put it in a group chat and everyone's going, wow, oh my God. And everyone, so this thing started spreading, yeah? And then he's like, oh, yeah. have you clicked on the link? Look at what it's going to be called. And you click on the link and it was something like Rick Astley is back or something like that. And I was like, you fucker. Because I, yeah. I was... I was genuinely excited because I, I still think the height of New Who is uh, a Stephen Moffat penned, Russell T. Davis showruns Doctor Who story. Mm-hmm. And they nearly got you. Well, in fact, they did get you. It, it, the joke will be on him if that's what happens, right? <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's um, Mr. Davis is banging on Mr. Moffat's door going, <laughs> come back. Like like Moffat did for like seven years. Moffat on Twitter. Russell T. Davis must go. <laughs> oh, that was the, that was the funniest thing. You know, I I saw that and had a right old laugh. Anyway, what's your segue? My segue was speaking of sh- of shows in need of salvation and in oh! creative vision. <laughs> the horns of Nymon. The horns of Nymon. Oh my word. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I will put in a small transition at this point. So if you don't want to listen to us talking for 15 minutes, you can go straight into the commentary. Sure. Um, Jack, why don't you just tell me whenever you're ready to go? I, you know what? I think I'm ready just about now. All right. oh, oh, have you gone in? Oh, no, no, I haven't pressed start yet. Jesus Christ, you've got counters in. Don't do that to me. Honestly, uh, I'm far more feel- professional on hamster, you know. I do a countdown and everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, well, allow me. Okay, off you go then. All right. Five, a four, a three, a two, a one. Go. Before we even um, start talking about the content of the story itself, I just want to say go and read the Horns of Nymon target novelization because there is a prologue in that, right? Where Terence Dix uh, details the rise and fall of the Sconan Empire, and it reads like Game of Fucking Thrones. It's a huge <laughs> epic story in about four pages of how yeah. how they kind of rose high um, militarily and conquered. And then over time, their resources were drained and they got a bit too big for their boots. People fought back. It's epic. 
It's certainly mm. more epic than this opening, anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're referring to a primetime HBO drama, and that doesn't look like that at the moment. Those hats are extraordinary, aren't they? <laughs> I, I, you know what? I think that the, hel- the helmet of the old guy, I think there is more effort put into that than the rest of the set. I mean, you know, I don't want to be that guy who picks on the wobbly sets of Doctor Who, but this is pretty bad. It is, but it's also fucking genius. They're Uh supposed to be down on their luck. These are supposed to be shit spaceships, and it is. Mm -hmm. So they're literally, they're writing Doctor Who to the resources that they have. I think that's really clever. Right, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I think I feel like this is a thing the Graham Williams era generally does. It it's kind of self-aware of how tatty it looks at times, and I suppose you could say this is a prime example of that. As like, it's an old battle cruiser, therefore we have full license for it to be as terrible looking as possible. You see that tubing that goes around the spaceship there? <clears throat> uh huh. There's a load of that. When they go to Krinoff later, there's just a load of that just lying around the floor. What is it supposed oh. to be? Look, there's no uh, you, Yeah, there's... <laughs> what does it mean? Is that the rubbish chute or something that can't be asked to go to the bin? I, I, I like to think there are even more of these ridiculous helmets just sh- shuttling along that chute. Um, we just saw I... um, Seth there, and um, I feel the need to straight off the bat confess, oh, you... confess something to you. And what is that? <clears throat> so there is um, a, a website out there called um, A Teaspoon and Open Mind, which features pornographic Doctor Who stories. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know where this is going. Uh, I, I think I've heard of this website, but I went on it and just thought it was a, a, a website full of fan fiction. I didn't realise it was... There is fan fiction, but a lot of it is very pornographic. Yeah, you look... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, um, so I, I am part way. I'm not going to tell you who my collaborator is, but I am part way through writing a story for that, featuring Seth of the Horns of Nymon and Adric. That's all you need to know. Wow, what an incredible pairing! Now it's going out under a pseudonym, but you'll know it's me because it's the only Seth Adric pairing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I mean, I th- you know what? I think of Matthew Waterhouse. I think of the na- or wh- whoever that guy is who plays the prince. I see it. I see that. I see, they're both really pretty. Yeah, pretty, pretty. That's the word. Oh, my God. This fella who's playing the co-pilot is incredible. His jowls are doing so much acting. What's his name? Malcolm Terrace. And do you remember the only other story he featured in was The Dominators? <laughs> what? Was it? Where was he in the Dominators? Oh, he was one of those people that died at the beginning. He was on Cully's oh. fabulous, fabulous tour oh. with the Island of Death. He, you know what? He's putting a lot of real hard work into. This is some, you know, there's a very special school of acting that you get exclusively in Doctor Who. I think that's called rattle acting. Well, you know, when. And Star Trek. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just in general, <laughs> classic science fiction. They look like miners. So, I mean, this model work, right? So, okay, there's no stars, which is a bit weird. So we're in a starless area of space. It's very Thunderbirds. But the ideas here, it, um, oh no, we're in the TARDIS, amazing. Um, <laughs> of the spaceship that's dead in space, and plus the doctors um, pulled apart the console. So the two spaceships collide. That's a really exciting idea for kids, I think. Mm-hmm. 
I yeah, I mean, you, I think in season seventeen there is a there are a couple in the Graham Williams era in general. There are these odd connective tissues. There are these odd through lines. Like it's weirdly obsessed with the legal system and uh, pu punishment systems, or sorry, crime and justice. It's also really interested in. Um, well, actually, in season seventeen, when Douglas Adams is in, uh, is writing it, it's really interested in spaceships hitting each other. Yeah, Nightmare of Eden and this, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Okay, Tom Baker in uh, the most extreme, irreverent mood he's ever been in making Doctor Who in this story, and I'm there for it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the. This is the performance. I think more often than not, people point to when they say Tom's out of control. And on the one hand, I think that is quite possibly true. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jesus, I don't think he even gives a toss about the script. He's saying the words, but he's just having fun. On the other hand, it is still Tom Baker. So I still find it as overripe as his performances and his jokes can get. I still have a good time with them. What Anthony Reid does in this story is he basically sidelines the Doctor and gives all of the big moments to Romana. Yeah, well, I think that's what, and I, you know, I think in in, in any time there's been a season seventeen big finish or novel, weirdly, I think that's the approach people go with, and they get it maybe, maybe not entirely, but. Definitely the blueprint for that is in the Horns of Nymon explicitly where Romana goes off and does the doctory stuff and Tom Baker gets to muck around and tell jokes. He's left in the TARDIS. She's the one that confronts the co-pilot. She's the one who meets Soldied first. She's yeah. the one in the last episode who gets the confrontation with the villain. That's right. She's the one who asks the ever important question of how many Nymons did you see today? God, I'm going to quote like mad when that scene comes around. But the point is here, is this the first female Doctor? Like, really? Like, she is Doctor in this, isn't she? I I would have an intelligent answer to the question, but I am currently fixated on the fact that K9's head is just upside down. Um, oh, God, Tom! Oh, that's filthy. Well, Romana he, looks so... He's getting used to, you know, shoving his mouth on, on things, doesn't he, in this season, so... Yep. I and whilst Lala Ward just has to look kind of horrified about it, both in character and out of character. Um, no, it, to answer your question, um, I think yes. I think she is kind of the first explicit female doctor or the template for it in some respects. I, mean, I almost feel like June hasn't read the script and has given her, look at how she looks. It is very doctorish. I think. The first idea for, I think you can probably trace the idea of a female doctor character, the like the the essential elements of it to previous scientist characters who have been companions in the show. Yeah. So I would say Liz Shaw is probably one of the an even more initial sort of stage for Romana, maybe Zoe as well. But absolutely, by the time you get to Romana, she's do. She is literally. She is literally a time lord. She's wearing the frock coats, um, the silly costumes. She literally wears Tom Baker's costume in her first episode. But in this, she's she is running the show. Like she's in charge. He's just mm -hmm. he's just having fun. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of 
you know, I still think there is this perception of Doctor Who, not unrightly, that in the classic run, it wasn't really, you know, for female characters and companions, it is a lot of, oh, Doctor, oh, no, what is that, Doctor? Yeah, it's not yeah, a good yeah, yeah. point. But, there, but then there are... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Sorry. How could I possibly finish a sentence when my, my Lord and Master, the hero of my life, is, has arrived on the screen? Can you believe, okay, that Graham Crowder was approached to play Doctor Who? Imagine if we'd had seven years of this. I, I think it would take seven years of him being Doctor Who to get this kind of performance out of him. And do you know what? God bless June Hudson, who I, I love her design work in Doctor Who. Those Sydney Opera House costumes for the guards are unforgettably good. <laughs> I, June Hudson, as we well know, always delivers the goods. Oh, boy, does she. And she does a lot and in 17, and she does a lot in 18 as well, where... That's right. Oh, see, look, the TARDIS is crashing. Ooh, I, another thing, you know I said about them leaning into the fact they haven't got a lot of money. So obviously hmm. the TARDIS is looking a bit shonky now as well. Like, they've got to the end of the season, and it looks shit. It's a bit yeah. Familiar. But the idea is he's pulled it all apart. So there's a... Mm -hmm. There is a reason. And then there's a creative reason to bring these two ships together, which takes the Doctor into the story. I think it's really good writing. <laughs> so basically you're saying that the sets on the TARDIS and the sets on the spaceship are allowed to be terrible because the writers have gone, both of these sh ships are old and terrible. Yeah, this is going to look awful. So let's give a creative reason why they're going to look awful. Yeah, I mean, like, this is the equivalent of, like, you know, pumping up a t an old tyre for the TARDIS. Really? Quickly, come on, keep pumping it up. This is sounds so weird. fun. He extends the shield, and then they literally slide down that tunnel. And, like, I just, just imagine being, like, a, a five-year-old child watching this. It's just so exciting. It's so... Mm. I think it's great. I think we, we get, the like, as adults, as Doctor Who fans, as adults, I mean, look at them, look <laughs> She's got the Doctor's skull and K9 sliding down. That's so yeah. fun. Oh, it's terrific. As adults, um, we're like, oh, it looks shit. And, you know, like, why are we mucking around doing this? Like, you know, let's have a massacre instead, you know? I mean, I mean, but this is why, for me, I can always enjoy the classic series. And, you know, you're even starting these days, you're starting to get it with the initial Russell T. Davis years, where, you know, the effects have dated. Um, but you can you can still enjoy it anyway. So you know all of classic Doctor Who really looks dated on some level. So you can just enjoy all of it on its on its own terms because none of it's going to look like Game of Thrones. To use an example you used earlier, that I showed my partner Time and the Rani and Talents of Wing Chiang, and he was like, "Well, what were they? A year or two apart?" Like he couldn't <laughs> tell the difference. It was all old TV to him, and it was all shot in a very kind of old fashioned way. So, mm -hmm. yeah right i think you're absolutely right look have you noticed they've got the lights down as well we can't actually see the sets very much anymore that's a why that's right don't worry it's it's still the bbc it it, it will the, the lights will come on there is actually in see uh, in episode four there's some terrific lighting just before um the complex is about to blow up and it's like red black red black it's very dramatic i are there um are there ceilings in this episode? I didn't even ask. Well, keep an eye out. You know, you know, you know, I'll get a hard on for a ceiling. So, <laughs> in Doctor Who. I that is a very peculiar condition to have whilst in lockdown. 
Um, so can I just point out there that um, the woman there, that is Sophie Ellis Bexter, the pop star's mother, Janet Ellis. Tenuous. I was didn't know where that was going to go, but that is actually quite interesting. You know who Sophie Ellis Bexter is, right? Uh, no. <laughs> oh my god, she was massive for like five or ten years. Uh, uh do, well, what, what's she done? Oh god, I can't remember any of her songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, Janet Ellis was a blue pre a blue Peter presenter for some time like peter purvis oh i see continuing that long tradition of hopping between blue peter and doctor who wow the prince looks like he, they put a lot of theater makeup on him and or maybe he's just chest. he's got a little airy chest look that's right i think that's what makes it weirder did you hear what he said we are the tribute to the nine the doctor went that's a very strange thing to be <laughs> <laughs> I oh, just look at them. They look great. Like I, I mean, that, that... thing. Yeah, this story. It is a well-written. I'm not especially well-realized, but it is a well-written Doctor Who story. It's just such a shame that Sharda didn't come to be then, because this was never meant to be the end of the season. So coming after the night, Nightmare of Eden and before Sharda, this holds up rather well as just a normal Doctor Who story. When, when this is suddenly your season finale and it looks as shonky as this, you're in a lot of trouble, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Actually, whilst we're on the... Uh, I, this just occurred to me now. There was a, a, an issue of Doctor Who magazine where um, Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat interviewed each other. And they were talking about um, comedy in Doctor Who. Uh, and they were talking about how in the new series, uh, the show is, under both of them, is as comedic as it has ever been it it um it that there are more jokes there's more attempts at comedy than any era in doctor who including uh the williams era which you know has this i think somewhat inflated reputation as funny as as like straight up comedy um and i i i was just i'm i'm just thinking now Sure, it's a bit camp and sure, it's a bit silly and sure, Douglas Adams has put a lot of jokes in it. But I still think it takes itself, I was about to say mostly seriously, but then he said weakling scum and maybe that just (laughs) deflated my entire argument. When it has to, like um, in Destiny of the Daleks, when uh, the Daleks are suddenly massacring a load of people, Tom Baker is sweated up and he's taking it incredibly seriously. In City of Death, Mm. when he realises that the whole earth is going to be put in that bubble... And he confronts the count in the cellar. He's taking it very seriously. Like when this, when the stories need to be taken seriously, Tom Baker's absolutely there to do that, and he does that in this as well, at certain points. Not often, but when he needs to. They are our payment in the great contract. (laughs) He has enormous eyes and enormous jowls, and they are doing some real heavy lifting in this scene. He's got an enormous hole in the arse of his trousers as well later. (laughs) I, but not yet. Oh my God, Jack. makes it so fun. I want to see you in one of those guard costumes. You'd be amazing. I I was about to say I refuse to wear anything other than Soul Deed's costume, but then I saw the guard again. I was like, actually, I would wear that. Do you think that that is the most overinflated collar that anyone's ever worn, Soul Deed? I, you know... June is just like he's a villain. It's nearly Christmas, yeah. so give it to him. This literally went out over Christmas. 
Which I, is- you can tell Graham Crowden looks like he's an unholy amount of eggnog. Okay, they didn't have that shot there of the complex out the window. They didn't have to do that. Like, I don't think this is entirely technically incompetent. As I feel, yeah, I also feel like if someone wanted to be mean, you could ex- extrapolate that and apply that to the whole episode and say, they didn't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, you know, I quite like, you know, the effect of the TARDIS and the ship and the car. Yeah, I, yeah. Quite nice as well. I like the, the spinning asteroid at the end of episode one. Yeah. Oh, you know, when I think of Horns of Nymon, obviously I'm firstly thinking about um, uh, Sol Deed, because what else is, it's, it is a performance so huge, you can only ever dominate your thoughts. But the other thing I'm thinking of is the look on Tom Baker's face when he says, did, did you say cricket ball? When I think of the Horns of Nymon, I just think of you now. I just think of you me in this podcast. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, isn't that sweet? Okay, I, I mean, this is insane to think that this whole bit of turt on this podcast. Yeah, it's, you know, great, great things come from equally great things. I just say something to you that you, I, I think I told you once, but let's just have it on camera. So Who Back When, which is a wonderful, wonderful podcast. Yeah, they're going through Classic Who and... Um, different contributors come in but there's one guy Leon who's on every single episode and he's he's a very terrific podcaster they hit the horns of Nymon right and he knew that we had a podcast called the Nymon Be Pray so he knew that like, he was expecting great things from the horns of Nymon because this whole podcast is spawned out of it and then he watched it and they did their review and he was like I don't get it there are whole podcasts out there spawned around this story and he goes from people i respect (laughs) (laughs) i i you know what it isn't for everybody but it is for us and that's all that do you know actually going back to what you were saying earlier about whether romana is the first doctor we see it right there she has her own sonic screwdriver Oh, yeah, he tries to take it, doesn't he? He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because there's a bit... Well, see, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding. You know, she, the first female Doctor, and she's better than the male Doctor. Oh, yes. Um, okay. This set, right, this Skonos set, which comes in for a lot of flack. So behind there, the grey area, that's supposed to be like a landscape, yeah? So we're supposed mm-hmm. to be outside, I assume, in that studio. Oh, K9 has been covered in ticker tape, look, or bunting. Oh yeah, because is the are these his print readouts? Jesus, what's he been calculating? That's a lot there. Oh, the damage report. That's actually quite a good gag. <laughs> oh, he's <laughs> Come on, do some lines. You've got the you've got the dialogue on the screen. That's right. Uh, but I I'm... define Gumtree, master. <laughs> Gumtree. It's very he's. He, he likes to, you know, his voice goes very high at the end of his sentences. The, um, so sorry, quickly going back to the sets on Skonos. <clears throat> the, the idea is this is like a military race, isn't it? They're, they're like an all conquering military race. And it's all very, uh, it's all rostrums. Um, it's like great big triangles, you know, like symbols mm-hmm. of power. I do think there's some thought in the design. And, you know, the costumes are operatic. But these are people, they don't care how fucking absurd they look. They're going to come in and conquer you. They're going to, you know, take your Lord, women. And- it is I, Solid. And, and, oh my God, okay, another thing. 
you know later on how how this is um, a take on the Minotaur with the maze moving about and all of that. They literally uh-huh. write into this story uh, an excuse for them to go down the same corridor a hundred times and it's reorganizing yeah. every time. I just think it is super clever. Yeah, but I feel like to most people that just comes across as they're, they're just finding an excuse to use the same corridor. Well, of course I, that is, but there are other stories where they do that, but there's no inventive reason for them to be doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I don't just read script edited Doctor Who for season 16 and went, oh my God, inflation's going up. Right, I'm going to have to write a story <laughs> with shit spaceships, one <laughs> corridor that keeps moving, you know. And he does it. I, I feel like it would be a very um, Doctor Who-ish, th- Graham Williams era's thing if that, if that wherever the randomizer took them, there was constant inflation economically wherever <laughs> they went. <laughs> Well, kind of the sun makers, isn't it? It's just yeah, yeah. Everyone's being taxed to death. That's that's my theory. That the random, the only thing linking all the places the randomizer takes the TARDIS is that at some point recently that economy has been through massive inflation, which is why everything looks so cheap. Oh my god! I mean, you, like this guy, the co-pilot, right? What, what sort of life do you think he has back on Skonos? Do you think? Oh, uh, is he married? <laughs> I, you know, this this is a man who has been in deep space for a long time. He hasn't he hasn't seen his partner for a long time. You know, it's a he strikes me, you know, as like a power dom. I bet he's always in charge. I bet he's got I bet he's got a bit of like, a bit of ass at every port that ship goes to, and he's in charge every time. Well, the way he yeah. with his gun going, wicked scum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with that mysterious green fluid in it. Um, I've got to say, I had a bowl of Rice Krispies this morning that look a bit like those asteroids. Ah, oh, well, you can clearly, you, this is an indication that you can just make the horns of Nyman at home for yourself, kids. Oh my God. Maybe that's the other thing as well. We've got, hang on, go with me here. We've got a Blue Peter presenter. Yeah. You know how they uh-huh. like conjuring up things out of sticky back plastic. We've got a bloody cheat spaceship. You can build your own horns of Nyman spaceship at home with a bit of tubing. Yeah. <laughs> Some egg cartons. Yeah, look, you could, you, know, you could draw those triangles on the wall. Look. I, you will have to spend a, mon- a bit of money to get Romana's amazing costume, can you, though. Can you just pause a second and listen to Romana where she's like, take us back! She's brilliant. I... Can I let you in on a little confession? What's that? Every time Romana gets, like, haughty and, and listen. Yes. Yeah. Despicable worm, man! I'm mad. She's the only woman that gets me horny. I'm telling you. All right. <laughs> well, you know what? There are worse kinks to have than being turned on by Lala War telling you off. You sound like you speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate. Oh Is this? God. Wait, hold on a minute. We're back I to think... the monsters. Look at the way he tiptoes in like a panto villain. <laughs> He's so pasty. <gasps> but his eyes are so big. Because oh look God. at what we're seeing. Jesus Christ. It's an enormous bull man. Disturb me at this time. Okay, I'm, I'm being genuine when I say this. Don't you think that's a great voice for the nylon? The, the treatment? It is a good voice. It is undermined by the design almost immediately. What are you talking about? Huh? 
This is about undermined by the design. What's wrong with that design? Oh, well, now you're putting me on the spot. Of course it's marvellous. It's on our podcast. There's a reason why we uh, we didn't ask Kayla to redesign the Nymon. <clears throat> it's I'm a classic. Lie, I'm not going to lie. This ain't a great cliffhanger, is it? The way it just grabs no. But boy, oh boy. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure if I've enjoyed 25 minutes of podcasting with you more than that first episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't even got to the best stuff yet. That's right. Well, uh, oh, just delightful. Look, Wait, who, uh, imagine having a credit voice of the Nymon, Clifford Borgate. <laughs> that's hey, that's why I'm going into acting, darling. And, uh, you need no other reason. I'm All not... right, well, yeah, go on. Uh, well, we're going into part two now, so that will be released as a separate installment, won't it? That's right, we're going out daily for a week. That's right, so uh, at the end of this part. Uh, a Joe, a one, a two, a three, the Nibob. <laughs>